Well, good morning. My name is Dave Dorst, and if I haven't met you yet, I would love to meet you after the service. I'm the associate pastor. Uh, Dr. Dave Silvernail, our senior pastor, started off his sermon last week talking about how his wife loves fall in New England, and that it makes him cold, and so he loves the south and the heat, and that's where he is. Uh, my wife and I just, our family just got back from Maine and Quebec City, and so you know if I disappear, don't go looking for me south. I'll probably be as far north in Canada as I can get. It was a great time. But it's good to be back, and it's good to uh, see a full congregation this morning. So if you have your sermon outline, we are in Exodus chapter 39. August 10th, 2011 was a big day for my family. The first time that we had ever had a house built, uh, it was finally finished. And our builder, Stanley Martin, was ready for us to have our first walkthrough. We, of course, had driven by many times, sometimes in the cover of darkness, to sneak in, even though we probably weren't allowed to, just to check up on the progress. Uh, it was an exciting time. But now they were handing over the keys and telling us that it was done and that all that we had picked out and planned for and paid for was ready for us. So we walked room by room, uh, inspecting the floors and the fixtures, the walls and the appliances. We, two men walked with us from Stanley Martin, uh, explaining warranties and maintenance and all of those things and scheduling our nine-month walkthrough. And then they left, and the house was ours. And we were pleased. We loved it, and it's been a great house for us. Five years now we've been there. Uh, I realize that that's not been the experience for everyone that's built. And uh, we almost immediately, within the year, heard many horror stories from people, even from our neighbors who had got built after us. Problems with leaking roofs and uh, poorly draining yards and things like that. But for us, it met our standards. We approved of what was built. And today's text recounts the triumphant day when another building is presented for inspection. This one was built not by a company, but by a community. It's not a joint design between an architect and the homeowners, but it's solely by the one who would live inside, by God himself. And on this special day, the foreman of the construction, Moses, received all of the parts of the building, all the furnishings that, that were to go inside the tabernacle. Those were gifts presented from the people to the Lord. And like my family's experience, the building passed inspection. The workers were blessed for their work. And so while my assigned text for today is all of chapter 39, I'm actually just going to focus on the last dozen verses or so. It's uh, verses 32 to 43. Uh, if you were here in late June, Josh Kamakaviva Olo did a great job uh, talking through Exodus chapter 28. And that is uh, basically covered the same ground as the first 
uh, 31 verses of this chapter. And so he explained what all the different parts of the priest's garments meant and were used for, what they symbolized, how, how they pointed to Christ. And so I would encourage you to look it up. All of our sermons are recorded and, and have uh, manu- most of my manuscripts on our website. So if you want to really fill in uh, what's happening in the beginning of this chapter, go to that sermon. Um, but here in chapter 39, we're going to jump to verse 32, where the text turns from describing what the priests were wearing to the day when the people brought forth the tabernacle and presented it before Moses. So starting at verse 32. Thus all the work of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting was finished. And the people of Israel did according to all that the Lord had commanded Moses. So they did. Then they brought the tabernacle to Moses, the tent and all its utensils, its hooks, its frames, its bars, its pillars, and its bases, the covering of tanned ram's skins and goat skins, and the veil of the screen, the ark of the testimony with its poles and the mercy seat, the table with all its utensils and the bread of the presence, the lampstand of pure gold and its lamps with the lamps set and all its utensils, and the oil for the light, the golden altar, the anointing oil and the fragrant incense and the screen for the entrance of the tent, the bronze altar and its grating of bronze, its poles and all its utensils, the basin and its stand, the hangings of the court, its pillars and its bases and the screen for the gate of the court, its cords and its pegs, and all the utensils for the service of the tabernacle, for the tent of meeting, the finely worked garments for ministering in the holy place, the holy garments for Aaron the priest and the garments of his sons for their service as priests. According to all that the Lord had commanded Moses, so the people of Israel had done all the work. And Moses saw all the work, and behold, they had done it. As the Lord had commanded, so had they done it. Then Moses blessed them. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Let's pray. Almighty Heavenly Father, your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. I pray that you would open and illuminate our minds, that we may better understand your word and conform our lives to it through Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, uh, most of what we just read has also been covered in many sermons, all the fixtures of the tabernacle. And so we're not going to spend a lot of time there. The majority of this passage I want to focus on is that this is a picture of the community and its collective contributions. Imagine yourself as part of the Israelite community on that day, waiting for your turn to present your part of the tabernacle. Let's say you were the one who tanned the ram's skins or goat skins that would cover the tents. Or maybe you were a woodworker and you carved part of the golden altar. Or you dyed the linen for Aaron or his son's garments. And so you wait your turn. And then you walk up. 
and you present your section of the tabernacle along with anyone who helped you with maybe a team of workers. And you know that you've done the work exactly as the Lord specified. And you know that the work will please both Moses and the Lord. And that you've used your talents and skills for the good of this huge community living out in the wilderness. You've done your part for this building where God will dwell and where he will be worshipped. It's a powerful image. And I see the same thing happening today. It doesn't happen all in one day, but our covenant community brings forth what we are able to achieve. And we add it to the building of our church. Not in construction of a physical church, yet. (laughs) But as we build the church up, and as we develop its ministries, everyone brings what they are able. Remember 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul talks about the body of Christ and how every member of the church brings something valuable to the group as a whole. Whether you feel like your gift is important or not, Paul says it is. And the body can't function effectively without all the different parts working together. Right? What good is a body with missing parts that don't function right? Imagine what a day would look like where all of our church came forward to present what they've done in the same way that the Israelites brought forth their work. What are some things that our church body would bring forward? Well, I think some people would come and say, here, here's the teaching that I do every week for our children. Others would come and say, I'm coming an hour early for setup, to set up the stage and the nurseries and the coffee table. Others have built ramps and done acts of mercy at people's houses. Helping run youth events, loving teenagers. Sewing dolls for Operation Christmas Child Boxes. Bringing a meal to the families with new babies. Taking your turn leading the men's Bible study. Cleaning the church office. Being on the planning team for the church retreat. Making and delivering cookies for visitors. Counting the weekly offering, making sure that it gets deposited. Taking pictures at the picnic taking an elderly person to their doctor's appointments, playing your instrument in worship, taking a week of vacation to rebuild a home in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi, or running a vacation Bible school in Nassau, Bahamas, getting down on your hands and knees to play with kids in the nursery, arranging food for the next shower wedding reception or funeral, inviting that new family over for lunch, shoveling someone's driveway, strapping on the knee brace to help unload the moving truck, making a care package for a college student, 
praying for people consistently, hosting a Bible study, preaching when the pastors are out of town. As long as that list was, I'm, I'm sure I could go on. I'm sure I'm missing a lot that our church body does to bless one another, utilize our gifts, and serve the Lord. When's the last time you put together a piece of furniture from a store? Last summer, Kath and I were putting together a swing at her parents' house up in Maine, and we had everything laid out. We were, we were rocking, getting, getting through, and we realized at some point that there were two left armrests. And they were L1. They had two L1s instead of L1 and L2. There were probably 100 pieces in that kit total, right? But because they had messed up and sent the wrong, just one of them, the right armrest didn't fit. And it wasn't going to fit, and the whole contraption, the whole swing wasn't going to work. So it sat in the garage until Thanksgiving when we came back and UPS delivered a new one, and we put that one together too. All that to say, every single piece is important. Every contribution to the Lord's work is vital. Again, back in 1 Corinthians 12, verses 14 and 18, Paul says, For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. So not only do we need you, but God selected you and sent you here. You are a skilled craftsman in some area in the Lord's community, and we need your contribution just as much as we need any of the officers, the pastors, the ministry leaders. We need you. And now I want to focus on the final two verses of the chapter, because they show the work of the tabernacle was done on time and to the exact specifications that the Lord had designed. And so the finished work is blessed. Let's read those two verses again. According to all that the Lord had commanded Moses, so the people of Israel had done all the work. And Moses saw all the work, and behold, they had done it. As the Lord had commanded, so had they done it. Then Moses blessed them. Well, there might have been something hanging around in the Israelites' minds as they're presenting what they've built because they might be remembering, hey, we built something else recently. That didn't work out so well. Remember the golden calf? Not only did the Lord not tell them to build it, he expressly forbid them from building it. Right? But they thought that that was the way that they were going to worship. That's how they were going to call on the Lord. The people were not commended for that work. They were punished greatly. But here, the people have spent months building exactly what the Lord had asked them to do. And they might have held their breath as Moses inspected all the work. And the relief and the joy that the community must have felt when Moses blessed them as a way of approving what they had done and thanking them. And his blessing was more than just a word of encouragement, right? It meant that the powerful grace of God would be with them for good, that God would live among them. 
Do you remember being rewarded for hard work as a kid? I remember the first time I was old enough, probably seven or eight, to help my dad put together a grill. I probably wasn't that helpful. But I remember feeling a sense of accomplishment, and then my parents just raving about it and telling me how great it was, and I think I got extra Klondike bars that week. That's what we did in Pittsburgh. So, As adults, we, we collect paychecks when we work, and, and so most of the time that's all the reward we get for hard work. But how great does it feel when someone actually stops and takes the time and says, wow, I did a great job. Thanks for your hard work. My wife had a boss who very consistently would say, I appreciate you in a very sincere, believable way. And I think it really affected her attitude working there. And she enjoyed that much more than the the place where she worked at a law firm where the boss would come by and throw his trash on her desk. That was the extent of their interaction. And that's a good reminder. Dads, moms, teachers, bosses, anyone, to be looking for ways to praise those around you, those who work, whose work you oversee. Take every chance you can to honestly praise what good they did. But I want to dive a little deeper here because I see several parallels in the scripture to these verses. And the first one is in the creation account itself. And if we remember, God blessed his own work in creation. And since Moses was the author of both Genesis and Exodus, there seems to be an intentional parallel between the wording of verse 43 here. Moses saw all the work, and behold, they had done it. As the Lord had commanded, so had they done it. Then Moses blessed them. And looking back at Genesis, the end of chapter 1, at the end of the creation account, Genesis 1.31 and 2.3, Moses wrote, And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. As Ligon Duncan comments on this parallel, Moses was directly ripping off Genesis on purpose because the tabernacle was a new creation of God, a new creation in order for him to meet with his new creation, his renewed people. God doesn't want the children of Israel to look at the nations around them to figure out how to worship because God is creating a new creation, which is after the pattern of that original unspoiled creation and not after the pattern of this spoiled fallen world. And then there was another great work that was commended by God, and that was the work of his son. When Jesus came, became a man, and lived among us, he lived a perfect life on earth that pleased his father. Right? Even at the beginning of his ministry, when Jesus was being baptized by John, the Holy Spirit appeared as a dove, and a voice from heaven said, This is my son, with whom I am well pleased. Christ's life was the perfect fulfillment of the law, 
following God the Father's plan for him to live among his people for a time and then giving himself over to those who would take his life on the cross. And God accepted the sacrifice of his son on our behalf on that Good Friday. The resurrection was God the Father's declaration that the Son had finished the work of our salvation perfectly. Romans 1.3 says that Jesus was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. The Son pleased the Father in his active and passive obedience, his perfect life, and his finished work on the cross. And so, we see God blessing his own work, God blessing the work of the Israelites, God blessing the work of his son. Can we hope to hear him pronounce a blessing over our work? Well, that's the question for us. On that great day that the Bible refers to so many times, whether it's called the day of judgment, the day of the Lord, or just that day, we will stand before the great judge. The Lord will know everything we've ever done, everything we've thought, every word, every deed. Listen to how 1 Corinthians Chapter 3, verses 12 through 15 explains it. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest. For the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Now, I want us to stop right there, because probably the most common misunderstanding in our culture of the Christian version of how you get into heaven goes something like this. You die, you get to heaven, St. Peter where God himself stops you at the gate and asks you if you've done enough good to get in, right? Of course, that's also the start of many jokes, but it's because this is what we think happens. And God stops us at the door and says, no, I need to see enough from you to let you back there. And if you've got enough, then you pass right through, you're good to go. If you don't quite have enough, then depending on your theology, you go straight to hell, or you work off some years in purgatory, or maybe you get in anyways because love wins. But And maybe it sounds like 1 Corinthians is teaching that. But that's not what that passage is talking about, and that's not what happens in our salvation. Uh, what Corinthians is talking about there is what is referred to as the second judgment, the judgment of works. The first judgment that separates believers from unbelievers is not about our work at all. It's about Christ's work on our behalf. None of us can pass 
the test of perfection, of being righteous or holy enough to earn salvation. You'll never tip the scales in your favor, and that's not even how it works anyways. There's no curve. We've earned condemnation, and it's only by accepting the work of Christ on our behalf that we are made righteous in his sight. When we get to heaven, and even now, we, God won't ask about our works to determine whether we get in or not. He'll, he knows if we're clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And then, because he makes us holy and just and able to spend eternity with him, then we have a chance for God to look at our lives and say, well done, good and faithful servant. And then he will give us what he's decided will be appropriate heavenly rewards. Revelation 22.12, Jesus says, Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay everyone for what he has done. I see a threat and a promise in that. Our work here on earth is important. As long as we recognize that it does not save us, it's a response to God's undeserved salvation. In the fall, we're going to Ephesians, and I love it. And I think Ephesians chapter 2, 8 through 10, captures this best. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So that's salvation. Now what's the next part? We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Beloved, we are called to offer our gifts, to work as unto the Lord, not as a way to earn his favor or his salvation, but as a way to celebrate and live a life of thanksgiving. And all those who embrace Christ's work on their behalf and are motivated to do the good works prepared for them said, Amen. Lord God, thank you for this text. Thank you for the book of Exodus that we have been working through and the wonderful treasures that we have mined. Thank you that you moved your people from slavery to freedom, to the promised land and the picture of our lives that that presents. And thank you that the end of the book shows us the plans for your house, for your tabernacle where you dwelt among the people. And God, thank you that you didn't just set it down there, but you used the people to build it. And that's how you still work today. Lord, you call us. You've gifted each one of us in a number of ways. And as we try those gifts, as we test them, as we bring them forth, we build up the body 
We reach outside the body and love those in our community. Lord, give us the wisdom to see that. Give us the wisdom to see how we can use our our gifts effectively, knowing that they're not a, a tool to win your favor, because that favor is won through salvation in Christ alone. But that you call us to walk in good works. You call us to live as servants who are sent, sent out ambassadors for Christ, the hands and feet of Jesus. Teach us what that looks like. And may we one day stand before you and receive our heavenly rewards, which then we'll take off, I think, and throw back down to you, crying, holy, 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 as the Lord Almighty. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.